I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Alex. I'm Alex, compulsive over here. Actually, yeah, sure. I was going to say I could do it myself, but that was the old way. Um, <laughs> no, I can do it myself. Um, I am Alex, compulsive reader. I want to thank John for asking me to come down. Um, I actually, it's so funny, Jerry and I were just talking about um, whether we should take a candle or not back and forth, and um, both of us just celebrated our anniversaries. Um, on August 8th, I had 17 years in a reader's novel. I always wanted to be like uh, Miss OA and like be a star. Basically, I wanted to be, you know, Barbie. And, uh, <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. Um, but uh, but what I have is actually way better than that. And because um, I have peace of mind and I'm really comfortable with my own skin. So um, there isn't. And most of my life, I didn't have that. Um, one of the things, I made myself a couple of notes just because I tend to get very um, into, um, I'm very ADD, and I'll go, oh, I really like her skirt, or, you know, I'll, I'll start thinking it. So just to kind of keep myself focused, um, I wanted to also, wanted to say that nothing I'm really saying or any quotes I have are really original. I don't think that, um, uh, I think that part of being in this program this long is almost like being reparented, and... I'm a single mom, my son's 11, and uh, most of the time I have to tell him again, honey, get your feet off the table, or all over and over again. And I was thinking this morning um, how that's kind of like coming to OA. Like, I hear the same things over and over again, but that's because I'm kind of being reparented in a spiritual way, and I need to be reminded, honey, keep your spiritual feet off the spiritual table. You know, that kind of thing. And so that's why I need to hear it over and over. And so... Um, that's why also I found that reading the literature over and over sounds different every time. And I don't know how that happens, but um, I swear I can read the same. I go to a step study every Tuesday. We keep going through all the steps, and every time I think, did we read this before? So um, anyway, I'll tell you a little bit about what it was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. Um, I was born and raised in New York City, and it was during a time, yeah, woohoo! Um, it was during a time when um, anorexia and waif-like, um, being waif-like was really at a top premium, and um, I, most of my family is small and sleek and dark and petite, and um, I have a younger sister that you, you could carry like a clutch purse, and I pretty much wanted what she had at all times. I really... My entire value of other people had nothing to do with what came from their hearts, what came from their behavior, but only the space between their thighs. And mm. that was everything. And in every magazine, every miniskirt, um, it always had like pretty much the state of Kansas between the two thighs, and that was the goal. And um, and I mean that in a clean way. I'm just talking space, like being bow-legged. I actually thought about having surgery to be bow-legged. I'm knock-kneed, so... Um, Anyway, um, and as things went, I always felt like, you know, uh, I remember when I first came into the program, and I'll tell you how that happened, um, I always thought, God, I wish I could be really cool and hip and have that, like, 
they'd be a drug addict or an alcoholic, and um, instead I have to have the dorky disease. It's like, oh, God, you know, nobody thinks that, like, it's never hip and cool to come in here and go, I eat too much and my thighs chafe. And, um, like, it's just not cool. Like, nobody really goes, oh, my God, that's cool. So, um, okay, lucky for me, I actually did end up being a drug addict and alcoholic, so now I get to be cool and, you know, chafing thighs. So, um so anyway, one of the, uh, I mean, I did all the things that a lot of peop- normal people do, um, I mean, normal uh, readers, we do in here, which was um, stealing food. I ate before meals. Um, I went back last week to uh, New York for it, took my son for the first time. It was really neat. But one of the things I noticed is what I hate are the long cocktail hours. The area, the area I came from um, and the type of family I came from, um, they would have cocktail hour forever. And I noticed that, um, I, you know, I have almost this reaction now to it where I don't really want any part of that. I'm bored. I feel like I'm being held hostage. And the whole cocktail and um, bar kibble is just, like, not interesting to me. And it's like, doesn't make sense. It's like, why are we having all these hors d'oeuvres before dinner? It's like pretty much you're grooming everybody to be a compulsive overeater. Because I don't know about you, but I was a stuffed by the time I went to dinner. And then just because I was bored and adult talk and whatever, you know, I just ate to kind of check out because there wasn't anything else to do. And um, now I know I don't really hold my son hostage, and I, I actually teach him to listen to his body. And if he's not hungry, don't eat, you know. That's, um, and it's okay to pay attention to that. But... Um, so, um, but eventually, you know, my chubbiness became a problem for my mother, and, um, and you know, just generally, it was kind of for me, too, although um, I think that generally, like, society really promoted this, you need to be thinner. And I look back now, and I, oh, I just realized I didn't bring my pictures. Shoot. Well, I'll describe it then. Um, I really wasn't all that overweight. I mean, obviously, I was taller. I actually naturally have really frizzy red hair. Uh, now, chemically, I was straightened. But um, and growing, back, back, growing up back east, they encourage you to brush your hair 100 times a day. That's supposed to, way to be the way you're supposed to keep it healthy. That was the old way. <laughs> so you have really frizzy hair, and then you brush it 100 times. You pretty much have this, like, flowing, <laughs> like, wafting thing. And it just was... It was just never, it wasn't that sleek look I was really good hoping for. So, um, so be, and I just didn't fit in, and I didn't want to be where I was, and, you know, I spent a lot of years really pissed off that, um, you know, I thought, you know, my family is abusive, and they're not fair, and, you know, I, two weeks ago I was telling a story about something to do with um, how, oh, we never had any free time, and right in the middle of the sentence I realized, that's not even true. I mean, my head was so um, used to telling itself stories of being a victim and that um, I actually made up a lot of my own attitude about my family growing up when actually it was a, a pretty good family. It really wasn't that bad. They did the best they could, and maybe it's my perception that's changed. But um, anyway, through high school and stuff like that, puberty, um, it's always a joy for anybody. Um, and um, I developed chronic acne which, you know, every teenager really hopes for with the big wafting hair. And I had teeth like a shark, so I had braces for 11 years. Um, 11 years, I'm knock-kneed, I'm chubby, I'm pale. I mean, it's just like, could you get any worse? So, um, uh, 
So I, you know, more and more food would work for me. To this day, I mean, if it didn't work, we wouldn't do it. If something about the eating didn't work, we wouldn't bother doing it anymore. And it's just like those little rat things, you know, the, the rat will get the pellet out of the thing, maybe not every time, but it's just enough to keep trying. And... Um, I, you know, the more I read, the more I learn about this disease. We, at some point, could have um, stopped, and but after a while, we all cross a line where we kind of lost that power of choice. And um, anyway, so I did all the diets. I did the, you know, the Jenny Craig, the Weight Watchers, all that kind of stuff. Um, when I was in my 20s, I moved to California and. Um, I tried the um, drinking beer as soon as I got home. This is before I was lucky enough to discover I was also an alcoholic. But um, so I still thought this might work. Um, I would get home and try, and I was never a beer drinker. It made me sleepy, and I thought, hey, I'll run home and I'll drink. I'll fall asleep, and then I won't eat. That was my plan. <laughs> and um, but on an empty stomach, it didn't quite work. I mean, this, this that's like kind of stupid, actually, when I look back on it. And it's like beer is such a low-calorie thing to be choosing anyway. Um, so, you know, I did the various things that I could do, um, like a lot of times trying to, you know, I know there's somebody else who talks about getting to man-hunting weight, and I did that. And, um, and I discovered the whole, like, um, I did laxatives for a while, abused laxatives. I did the whole dieter's tea thing. I don't know if anybody in here has done dieter's tea, but, boy, it's not pretty. And I would make huge pots of it. This is insane. Normal people wouldn't do this. Huge pots of it I'd have just, like, on low over in the kitchen when I was working. And I was showing people, I was a construction manager, and people were coming in to choose their carpet. And I kept having to say, excuse me, just a second. And I have to go to the bathroom. I mean... And I would do it because anything, even like being completely humiliated, was worth it just to try and be thin. I thought that was the whole point of life. So um, anyway, so as time progressed, I eventually discovered that um, large quantities of crystal meth will actually cause weight loss. And I thought, cool, this is like... And I'm getting a lot of cleaning done, so the combination, I'm thinking, this could, be, this could be kind of working for me. And I was living in L.A. at the time, and the trouble is that that was the train that I got on that I thought would be like a local. It was an express to absolute hell. And after a few years of that, I ended up, um, I hadn't left the house for a year, um, and I'd lost a lot of my hair, I'd lost my nails, I'd lost my personality, um, I'd lost all my sense of humor. My job, my friends, I mean, I'd really lost everything, and I spent all this time in front of a grain scale, and I thought, this clearly isn't working. And I'm really thin, but I can't even go out and show anybody, so what's the point? So, um, and uh, you know, I would take pictures of myself showing that I had a little space between my thighs. I still kind of thought that was the point. Suddenly, my best friend, he was, who had been diagnosed with AIDS, um, I don't know. And everything came crashing, and uh, I ended up saying, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to gain as much weight as I need to in order to get off that stuff. And um, I got up to 250 pounds um, and, uh, and was, um, I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop crying. I just, nothing was working. I just wanted to die. I relate, um, I relate to what you were saying earlier, that just like, complete emptiness. There was just like nothing in me. There's no happiness. There was no hope. There was nothing. And it was just, um, that was walking hell. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I went to go see a therapist who said, have you ever heard of Overeaters Anonymous? And um, 
And I thought, no. And so I went to go check it out, and I fell in love. Now, it wasn't necessarily something I was willing to really practice right away. And it takes what it takes, and some of us it takes longer. But um, I started going, and I got really involved. I um, was on the birthday party committee just a long time ago, um, and um, I felt like I kind of found my people. But I kind of hoped that I, they'd be my people while I needed them, and then I'd be done with you people, because then I'd be one of those people who was hip and cool and had space between my thighs, because I still thought that was the point. And um, so, but you know, the thing is, I didn't leave. I never completely left. I did end up getting to manhunting weight, and I got one. And um, it wasn't a good one, but it was <laughs> it was a good-looking one. So, um, so after a couple of years, and you know, it's funny because when you have a baby, you quit the drinking and drugging, and all of a sudden it's like, who are you? So I realized that you know what looks good does no skill right. But even when we were living in this remote part of Arizona and I was pregnant, I still went to meetings. I never really left. There was a part of me that knew this is still my home. And after the baby was born, and I, I missed L.A. so badly, and I wanted to come back, I used to go to the Sunday morning meeting on Washington Boulevard. That was my home group. Um, and this was a long time ago, so I don't even know if the meeting's around. But anyway, we ended up moving to Ventura. And at that point, I knew... I was missing something, and what was missing was my actual participation in the program. I didn't have a sponsor. I wasn't working any steps. I wasn't actually taking any action to actually change anything. And what something that somebody said at a birthday party, they said, um, you know, if you um, you can walk around. I used to talk about OA is so great. I love OA, but I was still like 220 pounds. So. Imagine, I mean, I'm just still walking through, leaving a wake of, I don't want what she has, you know, in my path. And I suddenly realized that I wouldn't want what I had if I was somebody else, and that I wasn't being of service at all by walking around um, obese and unhappy and um, with no really strong spiritual core. And, um, and that's the part that kind of, I had a hard time with that. I, I had been brought up very... Church of England, um, everybody has locked jaw, and but there wasn't anything. It was all about like looking um, spiritual, but not actually feeling it or acting it. And it wasn't until I started working this program that I discovered what acting and living a spiritual life is about. And I'm just the same as you know the um, we. I came for the vanity and stayed for the sanity. And um, anyway. Um, what ended up happening is I started, and for the last 10 years, um, I have been working a program. And the change has been huge. Because even though on the outside my life kind of looks similar, although I'm 75 pounds lighter and I have straight hair now, but, um, <laughs> but, but the inside change is really the biggest, um, the biggest change. And some of the things I used to wonder about were people would say they were recovering perfectionists. And I never thought I was a perfectionist because I thought, if I was so hell-bent on perfection, then how come I didn't work harder at displaying it? Like, I really never worked that hard at, you know, at my nails and my hair, you know. So I didn't get what the connection was until I realized it was about control. I wanted everything else to go perfectly. I wanted you to behave the way I have it pictured. I want things to be this way, and I want things to go perfectly. I want things to go according to my imagination. Things should go a certain way. 
that's how I was brought up, that's how I inherited, and that was my belief. And I, I really got that a couple of years ago. And I really got that, um, that as long as I had this idea that other things should be a certain way, that you should treat me a certain way, that you, that should look this way, and even the house should be that color, and, um, that, uh, that I was going to be unhappy. And, um, and that was, okay, so I got the perfectionist thing. And um, I wanted to say a couple of things about the way things are now. Um, some things I've discovered in this program, and then I wanted to talk about the principles, because I've been really into the principles of the 12 steps, because this is a 12-step program. And I just want to tell you what my experience has been with this. Um, a couple of things are... Um, the main thing I want to talk about is the, the thing that I had the hardest time with, and I still work at the contact. I have done the 12 steps. Um, I focus on how I can work the steps on any situation that I'm in, and, um, and that is of prime importance to me, and I look to increase my spiritual life. Every year I hear a speaker who says, that relapse is due to failure to enlarge one's spiritual life. And I really didn't want that. I've actually had a couple of relapses. They were not good. They were not pretty. And I can see it came from my lack of taking actions. In AA, they, they say a lot about, you know what, you may not feel like doing it, may not want to do it, but you have to do it, and you will act your way into right thinking. And I have found that's true for me. And it's the same... Um, with the steps, I don't necessarily feel like it. I don't really want to. And, I, you know, I'll call my sponsor and tell her about what I'm thinking. And I was just um, saying earlier, my sponsor always says, Alex, thinking is not a tool. Yeah. Like, oh, that's right. Um, so, um, anyway, um, I still, in fact, I think the longer I'm in this program, the more I want what it offers. And it's as if... It's the intangible part of it is be, has become the most valuable part to me. And there is that part, you know, we read um, that uh, he could and would if he were sought. It's not that you have to find God. It's, have, it's the looking. And that's been the coolest process. And for me, who's an, I always was jealous, well, I was jealous of everything, but um, I've always been jealous of people who are religious. I've been jealous of people who belong to big religious organizations, because it seems like that lays it out really simply, and people who are very comfortable with that kind of have it all organized, and they have somebody to go ask. And this has been a process for me of putting together different pieces, um, pieces that work for me, and I know that when I first came, I didn't want to hear the word God, I didn't want to hear that this was a spiritual program, I didn't want any of that, but that's actually the whole point, and so I had to figure out a way to make that fit. So one of the things um, I know for me that I started with, and I'm just going to tell you this is just my experience, um, was that I was kind of in awe of the fact that if I cut myself, it was my nature to heal. And I thought, okay, that's a concept I can work with. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to ask it. I don't have to bargain. I don't have to pay for it. I don't have to manipulate it. I don't have to sleep with it. It's just... It's just going to happen. And um, I thought, that's kind of cool. So there is like a creative force in the universe that if I stop hurting myself, I will heal. So I rest on that pretty often. Um, I also get that for me, 
and this is just my opinion, that God is in a lot of situations, and I just didn't wasn't looking at the right thing. I used to hear all the things like, um, like the, uh, you know, how could God let this happen to that child? How could God let that happen? And I mean, even the media encourages us to take natural events personally, like the killer earthquake. But you know, and we're really being encouraged to, to take that stuff. It has anthropomorphic tendencies, and we're supposed to take it personally. I mean, who knows? It might have been shaking for joy. So stuff happens. You know, like nature just happens. It's not happening to us, it's just happening. And this is, I'm just telling you, this is what's become true for me. Um, and this has been my experience, that um, stuff, bad stuff happens. There are sick people who make bad choices, and there are natural disasters, which even show up in the form of diseases. So stuff happens, but God is actually, for me, God is the love that shows up in the face of that. Like, after 9-11, I am from New York, so that was very hard to watch that go down. If you were to stare, if I was to stare at the, at the rubble that was there, and I would just went and looked last week, I wouldn't see anything. I wouldn't see any evidence of God. How could God have let that happen? But if I watched the Red Cross show up, and the firemen show up, and the love of the people showing up in the face of that horrible disaster, then I got to see God in action. And that was something I felt like if I looked for that, I would end up goosebumps. I would find tangible evidence of that in the world. As long as I focused on the right thing, as long as I focused on where the love was, it's showing up in the bad situations. And because stuff happens. So, um, so not to get too heavy, but that, that was what was true for me. So I'm still in the process of looking. I just uh, finished reading a whole bunch of books on Buddhism. Um, I even looked into Wicca. And what ended up happening, I just, it was too, it wasn't for me. But, um, <laughs> but I can actually carry around a little fake pine tree because recently I've been on this thing of like, where's the source of prana and chi? Where does it come from? And it comes from, anyway, recently, last night actually I was a meeting and I got this visualization. Um, and I'll wrap this point up in a minute. But there was the sense that everything had to do with the connection, the connection between two people, the connection of the sun and the water and, and what it does to plants. So that when one hand reaches another, that there is strength in that. And I know that for me, I can't do this alone. I tried to do a diet. I managed to do a lot of those diets for a good 10, 15 minutes. They actually worked. And um, I could never make it to lunch. It's like, I don't know. There was something I always ate. I would brown bag it and eat my brown bag before I got there. And one of the reasons I know I'm really a compulsive overeater is um, I, to this day, I broke something or something was never in me. Um, I can eat two or three coffee cakes and I don't really feel full and I don't really feel remorse. A normal person would say, wow, that's too much, I'm really full. My appstat is broken, that's what my sponsor calls it. And Because for me, it's like, could still be room in there. It's just like, and I don't, it's almost pathological. I don't really, half the time I feel really fat, and half the time I feel really thin. And every day I have a pair of jeans, and um, I'm very excited about the fact that I have pants that are size 10, and that thrills me. Um, but I'll try them on, and one day I think, Jesus Christ, I feel like I'm the size of a VW bug. And I'll put the jeans on, they fit the same. The next day I go, oh, my God, it's cute when I eat. Like Sex in the City, I feel like I'm waif-like. I'm tiny. The jeans fit the same. So, you know, 
my friend Terry always said, you know, it's about a dedication to reality. And the genes, for me, those genes are my reality. Because I can go from vixen to piece of dirt in a heartbeat. And it can happen in the, like, several times during the day. So I know my perception's a little off. So um, I need to always run stuff by other people. Um, speaking of writing things by, we were just laughing about this earlier. I used to have the hardest time going to Vons. It was really hard to go into the grocery store because the bakery was right there. And all the fresh donuts were there and the coffee cakes. And I used to binge on um, entire, not in a slice of coffee. I could eat two coffee cakes for a snack. And um, I... Uh, I used to have the hardest time going through there and because it really called to me and they, you know, it was fresh and all that kind of stuff and I called, I finally called a dear friend who said, why don't you go in the other door? <laughs> <laughs> Never occurred to me. Never occurred to me. I mean, that's why we need each other because, I mean, left to my own devices, I'm struggling and I'm at war with Vaughn's bakery section and there's just not, not much serenity in there. Um, I also, just a funny story, I did all the stealing food, babysat, I stole everybody's food and kind of stuff, but this one time I was in college and my college roommates, I lived with two guys, and they lived upstairs and I lived downstairs, and they were normal people, I mean, in so many ways, and they had a loaf of um, big French bread and they were going to have dinner that night, and they left it there all day. And sometime in the morning, I opened up the bag, and I, with my finger, kind of pulled out some of the white fluffy inside, and I wrapped it back up. And then, uh, you know, I went and do, did some more stuff, and then I went up, and I dug a little bit more out, and then I went back inside and did some more. Well, I was there by myself all day, and it was probably 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was up to my elbow, and I was still wrapping it up. Now, I don't know what I thought they were going to say or do. Like, okay, it's hollow. It's empty, and I'm the only one home all day. I bet they're going to guess it's me, and I was planning on denying it. I don't know. Maybe you bought an empty loaf. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that is just not, um, yeah. And that was typical. I used to do that kind of stuff all the time. Um, so what it's like today. Um, oh, there was one last thing I was going to say. Recently, I got, this past year, I got willing to call my sponsor and uh, to say what my plan was for the day. I never wanted to do that. I never wanted to be like a diety, controlly. The women I sponsor, I'm really into um, not having a perfect day, but having a good month. I mean, we're 90% water, all of us. It's never going to be rigid, perfect every day. But I can ask myself at each situation, will I love myself more if I eat this? Will I love myself more if I sleep with this guy? Will I love myself more if I say no? I mean, if I say yes and I really mean no. I mean, how can I actually take better care of myself? And um, how can I end up being being more love? Not just, like, getting, but how can I fill up enough to be able to give? So um, I said, you know, I'm always, I, I went through, uh, I go through, well, big surprise. I go through binges of watching TV series on um, Netflix. And last year I was really wa into watching that series 24. And, um, you know, I don't watch TV, but I'll watch one DVD right after the other until my son will go, Mom, it's been three days. 
I'm hungry. <laughs> but I noticed in the first in the first season, the guy takes the girl hostage, and the the girl has a um, a struggle. She's not sure whether to. At a certain point, there's a romance that develops, and it very often happens in hostage situations. The, there's a weird, odd, she wants to protect him. There's kind of a romance. but So she wants to get away, and she wants to protect him. So she's torn. To me, that's addiction. There's a part of me that wants to maintain that relationship, but I've had that relationship with, for a long time. There's a connection there, and I want to get away from it, and I want to protect it. So there's that struggle. So what I realize, I'm really into the whole hostage thing, um, and which is that... Uh, when I became willing to call her and say, I'm going to have this today to eat, when I realized that I was willing to say, I'm going to drive today, or I'm going to ask God to drive with me, because calling at the end of the day was letting her know, hey, this is where my hostage took me, and this is what we saw today, you know, <laughs> that I could just let something else drive. And um, so that was my little hostage analogy. Um, okay, so funny, I didn't think I could fill it 40 minutes, but um, what it's like today, um, a couple of things. I am not um, the same person that I was when I first came in. I know that in what I keep hearing more and more is that the root of most of my problems is selfishness and self-centeredness. And it talks about it in the big book. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows. I have been so guilty of thinking the poor me and not taking responsibility for myself. And even I'll be um, just about to be 48 that um, I still was in the habit of blaming things that happened in my childhood, that blaming my mother for what she said or blaming, you know, and I got to say, I hate being a single parent. I really hate it. It's not what I had pictured. It's not the way I planned it. <laughs> and, um, the more I rail against that, the less serenity I have. And um, I have found that the more I get out of myself, and I'm not talking, there's that fine line, and um, it, I think especially for women it can be a struggle. There's a fine line between getting out of ourselves and being like too much um, serving. So um, there's maintaining that balance. But, you know, that's how I need to do that with other women. I think one of our weaknesses is an inability to rely on each other for help. And I am very much like, I'm fine. Got it. I'm a New Yorker. I can take care of it. I can take care of myself. You just run along now. In fact, I'll take care of you too. So it's been, it was really hard. My son had a play date arranged, and I had to call a friend of mine. She doesn't have kids, and ask her if she'd take my son tonight so I could come down here. So actually, when I arrived, I was feeling anxiety, and then I realized, I think I know why, because it's really uncomfortable for me. She says, he's great. He's a great kid. He's funny. They're having a good time, but I'm nervous. It's like, oh, I don't want to burden you. But you know what? That's what we're for. I think God gives addictions to people to force us to need each other. The ones, I think, who actually, um, the ones who end up with addictions are the ones who are, are like, very, I'll do it myself, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll handle it myself, I'll be independent, I'll be self-centered, actually, is what it is. And my sponsor used to make me, you know what, Alex, 
what I want you to do, and I had a hard time with making calls. My biggest challenge was I'd say, I don't know what to say. I don't really have that much going on in my life. And she said, how do, why don't you ask them how they are? <laughs> oh, again, that had not occurred to me. So um, I go, I still go to, uh, I try to go to four meetings a week at least. And here's why. If I go to one meeting a week, I'm swimming. I'm in the ocean, but I'm just swimming. And I still i am having to exert some effort to stay with it. You know, I'm, it's kind of taken some work. When I go to two or three meetings a week, well, I'm kind of floating then. Uh, you know, but I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, I'm having to keep my head above water. It's a little bit of an effort. But when I go to four meetings a week or more, and when I'm actively of service and going to conventions and really connecting with other people and heart-to-heart, not brain or clever mouth to whatever, um, then I'm buoyant. It's like by actually taking the actions and being involved, there is a, a being lifted up feeling that's just the freedom. The food doesn't call to me as much. Um, and I actually have that freedom where I go, oh, my goodness, it's 1230 and I forgot to have lunch. Because, you know, when I'm doing one meeting a week, it's like, Jesus Christ, it's 1130. I don't know if I can make it. And I'm thinking, okay, I know normal people don't think in half an hour they're going to die. You know, but I still get that kind of feeling. And um, that buoyancy is worth a lot to me and that freedom. And when I get through the steps um, is to be buoyant. So I work the steps. Um, I love the principles. I thought I was going to talk about them. They always say you're going to give three talks, the one you wanted to give, the one you actually gave, and the one you'd wish you'd given. Um, I'm already having that. Um, And I just wanted to say um, a couple of things. One is I'm really comfortable in my own skin. I recently bought a bathing suit that's called a miracle suit. Now, In the old days, it would have been a miracle to get me in a bathing suit. Now, it's just like, okay, I'm a little bit older. Um, But I'm actually comfortable. I'm not apologetic for my my presence. I have peace of mind. Um, I like who I am even when I'm not in a good space. I don't trash other people and then have to correct it later. I'm not binging my brain out. My food is not always perfect, but I'm 75 pounds down from my top weight. But that didn't happen overnight. And there are months when I'm more and months when I'm less. And I don't obsess. The freedom is there. The one time I tried to give up sugar because I thought, oh, that's the right abstinence, I went home and I would fry blocks of cheese. Um, I gained like 10 pounds in a couple of days. And I thought, okay, this is not the sanity and freedom I was really hoping. So I aim for sanity. I want freedom. I don't want to be clutching and anxious and worried about, like, oh, this, counting calories. It's like, no, I want the freedom. I want the sanity. I'm no longer willing to take the diet pills to go for the quick fix because the life I'm getting is so much better. All of those spiritual um, pieces that I have collected have actually turned into a really beautiful spiritual quilt that it doesn't match. The pieces don't match and they're kind of frayed edges. But they actually provide me with a great deal of comfort on an everyday basis. And that is huge. I'm I'm just going to end with this. that um, So many things have gotten really good. I have the, the dream of my 
the, I mean, the job of my dreams, the dream of my job. Yeah, someday I'll be employed. Um, I have an amazing job. I have a great son. I don't like being a single parent. But you know what? Once I accepted it and thought, okay, then well, what are my choices about it? My, um, I'm selling my house because I realize we're not in a good neighborhood for my son to have um, kids to play with. I love my house. But you know what? Being of service and providing a better environment for him is worth everything. I have no anxiety because it's the right thing to do. I trust my intuition. It's like that suddenly knowing how to handle things that used to baffle us is really coming true. But it takes practice. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. I love the I Dream of Jeannie fix for everything. I wanted to beat her. I like the bottle and everything. And I love a man in uniform. So, you know, it's like I really wanted that. But instead, I get to be like a, a great mom and a great person. I'm a good sponsor. I love OA. And, um, and there was one other thing I was going to say, and I forgot what it was. But I really appreciate it. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. And thank you for letting me share. Minutes for questions. Here's an out-of-control situation. Yes? Thank you so much for your share. Can you talk about your experience in working steps 8 and 9? Yes. And in fact, I was just listening to a CD about that today, too. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, the, for the, okay, for the tape. Um, what's my experience in working steps 8 and 9? Um, with my sponsors, very steps-oriented. And... We actually kept my fourth step, and we had gone through all the columns of it and then looked at um, what my part was in the fourth column. So the last column, I got to look at my part. I had to really go over with her, though. Um, I would have done it wrong if I tried to do it myself. I actually uh, went over with her what amends I was planning to make, and she asked me, what's your motivation? Do you just want to feel better about the situation, or what are you hoping to provide for the person? There were ones, um, uh, in some cases, um, where, like, for example, my grandparents are dead, and I spent many years um, deceiving them out of a lot of money. And it was a huge source of shame. And, and really, I manipulated and deceived, and, I mean, like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth, not just a little bit. And um, she suggested, I was like, I don't know how to make amends for that. She said, you need to pay for your son's education yourself. And so I am. So I get to do the things. I mean, to me, amend is, um, they say to mend is like to repair tear. And so somehow I get to make it right. I don't always want to, and I need to run it by her first, um, or somebody who has a long time in the program to make sure my motivation is correct in doing so first. Does that answer it? Yeah. It's not comfortable, but, man, it's freeing. I totally screwed up last night. I yelled and I thought some workers at my house had maybe taken or misplaced uh, an airport in my house, which is a wireless internet thing, and I found it this morning. And, you know, I don't know them very well, and I was thinking all night, oh, my God, I'm going to have to make amends for that. And I realized it's the only way I'm going to be free. I'm going to have to. And I did. They were fine. You know, it's, that's where a lot of freedom comes in making things right. Oh, we have one more? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I forgot one question. Oh, <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for being here. I really loved it. Um, can you talk a little bit about how Step 11, how that kind of 
change for you the more asking that you got? That's my favorite. Uh, yeah. Okay, step 11, how that changed for me every time. That was kind of the question. Um, prayer and meditation actually become, like, really central. And for me, being New Yorker, being hyper, and being um, addicted to busyness as a distraction, stillness has become a spiritual practice for me. And, again, it's one of those things I may not feel like it. I might not want to. For me, these days, um, I actually do take the time in the morning. I do pray. I pray for other people. I always do it to an open window where I can see trees. For me, it's just very powerful. Um, and I take moments. I weave. I don't, I'm not even sew, but I don't know why all the quilting and sewing analogies keep coming in. But throughout the day, I try and weave moments of stillness into my day because only when I'm really still can I actually hear the inner voice and that, uh, what the truth is. When I'm too busy and moving too fast, I don't hear anything. Okay, thank you.